Our text this morning is a traditional text that you would hear on Easter morning. I was telling Pastor Ryan before he left, you know, I've been an associate pastor for four years. And as an associate pastor, you're accustomed to doing what? Preaching the Sunday after Easter. So this one is for all the associate pastors out there. But our text is from John's Gospel as we continue in this study as we're nearing the end. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. You know, all through the Gospel of John, special attention is paid to what people see and most often what people fail to see. I take, for instance, the irony that is found in the passage of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. If you remember, the miracle was right there in front of of the Pharisees. Right? There, was, there was no denying what had happened. It was obvious that this man who was 
blind from birth, could now see because of Jesus. And yet the Pharisees refused to see it. Right? They claimed to have the right perception of things. They claimed to have the right understanding. But tragically, they were the ones who were blind. Right? Jesus, never, Jesus never hid his works. Right? He didn't attempt to conceal his message. It was, it was all out in the open. You know, his final words in his public ministry are a good summation. He says, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. And notice our passage this morning is all about what Mary and Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's all about what they see and what they don't see. But I suggest that the focus is really on Mary. For example, look at how the passage begins and ends. Right, it moves from Mary's initial misunderstanding of the evidence, the stone being taken away from the tomb, to her proclaiming that she has seen the Lord. Right, it opens with Mary coming to a tomb while it was still dark. And it ends with her speaking to the one who is the light of the world. Right? Mary initially thinks that she's speaking to some random gardener. But then she recognizes that she is speaking with Jesus. So Mary is the one we need to pay attention to. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Because there's something Mary can teach us. And so here's what I suggest Mary shows us that we can wait, that we can trust, that we can announce, that we can wait, we can trust, and we can announce. So notice it's, it's Mary's first report that brings Peter and the other disciple to the tomb. And so the two disciples come, and after looking in the tomb and seeing only the linen cloths, these two disciples return to their homes, leaving Mary alone at the tomb. And more specifically, they leave Mary to weep all by herself. And we aren't given a reason why the disciples chose to return to their homes and why Mary chose to stay. But I think we can reason that the easier choice, the more comfortable decision would be to get away from the tomb. Right? This tomb was a, was a place of grief. And we all know it's in our natures to avoid those types of places. And yet there's Mary. And she couldn't pull herself away. She chose instead to wait at the tomb. This place that reminded her of what she lost, what she could not find. But her decision to stay at the tomb and wait puts her in good company. She's another in a long line of God's faithful people who wait with tears. I look at what David wrote long before Mary in Psalm 69. He said, I'm weary with my crying. 
My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim, waiting for my God. That's Mary, isn't it? My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. You see, so often our faith is exercised not so much in heroic actions, but in waiting on God to act. Right? Waiting on God is essential to who we are as God's people. Right? Look at Isaiah 64.4. From ages past, no one has heard, no, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. But like Mary, waiting on God often means we're waiting for him in a place of loss and grief and unanswered questions. So maybe this morning, you're waiting to hear what the latest scan will reveal, how the test results will come back. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship to be restored. See, like Mary, we are often weeping as we wait. Notice Mary's waiting was rewarded. Right? The first report of Jesus' resurrection came from a woman who stayed near the place that was uncomfortable, that reminded her of her loss. And even though she wasn't expecting to see Jesus alive, that was the answer to her grief. Meeting Jesus, speaking with him face to face was her reward. It was that that alleviated her grief and transformed her situation. So here's what that means for us. The ultimate answer to our pain, our losses, our sadness, those lingering unanswered questions, all of that will be answered by seeing our Savior face to face for ourselves. Paul calls this our blessed hope. It's the manifestation, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when we feel the brokenness of this world, when we see the sin within us, when we see the sin around us, it all reminds us that we are waiting for Christ to come. We are waiting for Christ to come and finally do away with all that plagues us in this world. Because Christ rose from the dead that morning, our waiting is not in vain. Right? Seeing Christ will be a reward like we've never received before. You see, we can endure through the griefs of this world because our Savior is alive. And we will see him face to face. We'll see him in all his glory and splendor and majesty. So Mary teaches us that we can wait. But Mary also shows us that we can trust. So notice, where does the passage Turn. Where is their resolution? Well, it's in verse 16, right? The resolution comes not when Mary initially sees Jesus, 
It's when he speaks her name. Right? That's all it took. Hearing Jesus speak her name took the scales from her eyes. But it's still interesting. Why couldn't Mary recognize Jesus before he used her name? Right? Maybe you could say that her eyes were too blurred because of the tears. Perhaps. But the better answer is found by looking back to what Jesus said earlier about being the good shepherd. As the good shepherd, Jesus tells us that he calls his own sheep by name. You know, as sheep, we don't find the shepherd. The shepherd is the one who finds us. And even though it's Jesus who asks Mary, whom are you looking for? We know the one who is doing the seeking. It was Jesus' initiative that allowed Mary to see what she couldn't see before. See, the point here is that our faith, our ability to see truly, it depends on the grace of our Lord. He has to speak to us before we can ever respond. He's got to take away our blindness if we're going to see straight. If you go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, and one of Jesus' first conversations was with a man named Nicodemus who came to him at night. And Jesus put it like this to Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. But still, we might wonder, would Mary have figured it out on her own? I mean, eventually would she have calmed down, come to her senses, and been able to recognize Christ? Well, I think what this encounter is teaching us is that the answer is, the answer is no. Because Christ doesn't run that risk with his sheep. Right? A good shepherd wouldn't leave it to the sheep to find their way back to him. No, a good shepherd brings his sheep in. A good shepherd doesn't have a general idea of how many sheep are under his charge. A good shepherd knows the exact number of his flock and he won't rest until all have been brought in safely. You see, we can trust that the Lord will make himself known. He doesn't leave it up to chance or put the ball in our court. Instead, we can trust that Christ, I will say in ways that we often can't fully explain, but we can trust that Christ speaks personally. He speaks personally to each person that he has laid down his life for. We can trust that he will not fail to gather his people. And notice what's interesting, as we'll see in just a minute, Christ sent Mary to tell the other disciples about the resurrection. So what that means is that even though Christ is ultimately responsible for gathering his flock, you notice his sovereignty doesn't undermine our evangelism, our witness, our role. Instead, trusting that Christ will make himself known is what we need for evangelism. 
right? If it rested on my talents, if it rested on your talents, we'd be in trouble. But what we find here is that our evangelism, our witnessing, is simply an outworking, an overflow of the trust that we have in this good shepherd who has called us by name. So Mary shows us that we can trust Christ to continue to make himself known in this world. And finally, Mary shows us that we can announce. So when we look back at the text, we see that Mary, all along, Mary has been concerned with just finding Jesus' body. And so it's understandable that Mary would have grabbed onto him, would have clung to him once she recognized that it was him. She wasn't about to let him out of her sight. Because again, her, her chief concern was just tracking down the physical location of Jesus' body. But Jesus' chief concern, as he has said again and again, was to return to his father. Because for Jesus, his return to the father, it marked the end of his work. But more than that, his return to his father signaled his victory. Look at Jesus' words in his long prayer, his, his high priestly prayer that we looked at a few weeks ago. The very beginning of that prayer, Jesus said to the Father, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. See, that's what Jesus wanted Mary to focus on. His finished work, his victory. And so more important than touching him, was announcing his impending ascension to the other disciples. I see Mary was sent to bring the message that Jesus' work was fulfilled, right? That everything that Jesus came to do had been accomplished. And so what exactly was accomplished? Right? What does, what does Jesus' victory mean? Well, look at what Jesus tells Mary to say to the disciples. He told her to tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, this is the first time, this is the first time that the fatherhood of God is applied to anyone else than Jesus. Because of Christ, what he accomplished, our status, our status has changed. You know, when Charles Wesley was converted, he wrote a hymn, as he would, to capture what had happened. Here's what he wrote. He said, Oh, how shall I the goodness tell, Father, which thou to me hast showed? that I, a child of wrath and hell, I should be called a child of God. You see, Mary wasn't just sent to the disciples. Mary was sent to her brothers. 
She was sent to announce that Christ had not only made us right with God the judge, but that Christ has brought us into a new family where God is our father and Jesus is our elder brother. You see, it is sin and death, sin and death that tear us apart, break down our fellowship with one another. When we look back at the first family, we see an older brother, an elder brother, rise up and murder his younger. But look at what our elder brother did. By dying and rising again, Christ has defeated all that tears us apart, all that breaks down our fellowship. Because of Christ, we have a family that can't be destroyed. We have an eternal fellowship, a family of brothers and sisters from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. A family of brothers and sisters that were purchased and washed by the blood of Christ. Like Mary, we can announce what Christ has done. We can not only proclaim his victory, but we can enjoy his victory by showing our neighbors the love that we have for one another. I'm sure we've all noticed in our culture how fragile relationships are, how quickly things can deteriorate. But what a joy it is, what a privilege it is that our fellowship is not in the things of this world, but our fellowship is in Christ, that we belong to him and we belong to one another. And we can witness what it means to be children of God who are at peace with God the Father and who are at peace with one another. So as we think about the resurrection of our Lord, that he rose bodily, that he broke the reign of sin and death and has given us eternal life. As we think about his resurrection on this Labor Day weekend, we can ask ourselves what Charles Wesley asked. How shall we tell the goodness which the Father has showed us? Amen.